Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. On today's episode, we sat down with Eric Malinsky of Piatelli Vineyards. We are a huge fan of everything that these guys put out into the market. I think we carry all of it. And a few weeks ago, we sat down with him, heard his story, and knew we had to have him on the podcast. Super nice guy. Again, great wines. We loved having him on, and we hope that you enjoy listening to it. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. Hey, Anthony. What's going on? I am great. I'm excited about what we're doing here today. Eric, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. It's uh, it's great to have you on. I have been a fan of, well, all of your wines, I, I think it's safe to say, but uh, one wine in particular, I, I've gone on record saying that it's uh, one of my favorite wines from one of my favorite regions, uh, and, and that's that Arlene. I'm in love with it. I love the Salta region, and I think that that wine captures exactly what I want from that region as a whole. I'm glad to hear that, and especially as it's named after my mom, Arlene. Of course, it's my favorite wine too. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Uh, so, before we dive into that, I w- really want to know about Piatelli as a whole. I'd like to hear the story where you began, uh, and, and you know who's making the wines, and, and tell us all about it. You bet. Yeah, no, I'm happy to. And again, I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you guys. The Anytime I talk about the story of Piatelli, um, honestly, it really is a story of adventure. And the long story made short, you know, when you look at wine, I think the beauty of wine is that you can't really put it in a box, right? I mean, we, we our story is we're, we're, I always say we're Polacks, the Malinsky family from the wine capital of the world, Minnesota. <laughs> but you know we uh my, it's a story of adventure from my parents john and arlene malinsky they worked hard their whole life but put their retirement on hold and ended up in argentina back in the 1990s and they just truly after about a two-week visit absolutely fell in love with the ruggedness of the the terrain out there and the beauty of the people, just really good people. And after a couple week trip, um, the last day they had an opportunity to meet the Piatelli family who was looking to exit out of the wine business and kind of on a whim and a, a bit of a risk. Uh, my parents, John and Arlene, jumped into the business back into the late 1990s and have since then, um, really, it's a passion for them and our family. We've been at it now for 20 years and uh, are just dedicated to trying to bring to market just the best quality wine we possibly can. So a bit of a story of adventure that they weren't looking to get into the business, but we're all in now and having a blast. Well, that's great. And you uh, texted me over some pictures of, of the, uh, the is it a resort that's being built there? It is. And yeah, maybe continuing the theme of adventure. Um, we entered in Mendoza, really the wine business, my, my parents did. And after some years, they ventured up 600 miles to the north, really the most northern wine region in Argentina, a beautiful little um, getaway called Cavajate. And on that trip, they really fell in love with the area and the possibility of, of planting some beautiful vineyards. So they did that. Um, we got the Piatelli Cavajate winery up and rolling. 
years back. And by the way, since then, some really, really crazy, fun, um, complex style wines are coming out of there. But after years and years of a lot of visitors coming, we're, we're getting roughly five to 6,000 uh, people coming through our wine experience at that property, that location. So we decided to jump all in to your question and started the project about three years ago. Um, and it is the Piatelli Wine and Spa Resort. It'll be opening up in November. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's the best timing or not, but we'll see. Uh, but a really, probably one of the top uh, wine spa resorts in all of South America featuring 20 private casitas wow. that are kind of, you, you wind your way with a golf cart through the vineyards and come upon your little private casita with a viewing deck up top of the whole valley and stargazing. It's just a really beautiful resort that's coming online here in about a couple months. Well, I've seen some uh, gorgeous resorts and wineries and uh, what you are working on and, and what you sent me looks like, I mean, top of the line. It's gorgeous. Uh, it'll be a really nice project when it's done and maybe Perry and I will have to get out there and check it out. We are, you know what, please do. Um, and all for all the listeners, we, we love bringing um, trade into the, you know, our properties. But as I said, opening up soon, and, and I do agree. I mean, the credit, it's, it's my dad's passion project, mom and dad. And his attention to detail, it just blows your mind. But from the food to the wine experience to, you know, stargazing at night with a nice glass of uh, maybe Piatelli Arlene, it, it'll be an experience you'll never forget. And you guys have really kind of, you know, lots of high scores. Uh, you know, I'm looking at, uh, and you know, scores to like maybe uh, Anthony and I. We, you know, we look at them interesting, good for the consumer because they can like shop the scores. But I mean, you guys got like limited edition Malbec '95, uh, uh, the Malbec Grand Reserve '93, Mendoza Grand Reserve '93. I mean, you you just got like high high scores. You're getting really good critically acclaim acclaim, and not just by one, you know, person. You're you're getting multiple reviews from you know everybody from like Tim Atkins, a Wine Spectator, James Suckling, Parker. I mean, you guys are just nailing it. I I really appreciate that, and and we humbly say thank you for that. And of course, the credit goes to the our winemaking team, Valeria Antolin and Alejandro Nesman. They're just four generations of making wines. And real quick, if you don't mind on that point, um, we really, we have a culture where we don't chase scores. We're very thankful when we get them, but we really do everything we can from the locations we're buying all the way through how we're harvesting and fermenting. And the process is really to stay true to that terroir, to bring to market what's that true representation. And thankfully, like you mentioned, we are getting some really high scores from wine critics. So it's a really nice, uh, nice accolade, nice feather in the cap, and all the credit goes to that that winemaking team. They're they're family to us. A lot of them have been with us for 18 years, and they're just really, really dedicated and kind of put their heart and soul into the wines. Yeah, and a lot of them are like they've been around. Like I think uh, I think I read somewhere that uh, Valeria was like four fourth generation winemaker like in her family we love valeria yeah thank you her, she she has a, a, a long generation it is four generations she's got an interesting story she originally was at mendoza university looking to uh, get into medicine and looking to be a doctor but as college can be you can take different turns and 
she just had to um, deal with the fact that in her heart, she felt like she really wanted to carry on that tradition. So she took a left-hand turn away from medicine. And if when you meet her, she's not a celebrity-style winemaker. She is in the fields working, and she's very talented. So she likes to be outdoors and is really uh, committed to, to what she brings to market. I think that that's a, that's a beautiful thing, actually. I, I tend to gravitate towards winemakers who are like that. I think that they make the best wine, the best uh, representation, and I think they care the most. Um, I, I've said it a number of times on this podcast. Uh, winemakers are kind of like artists, right? You get to see uh, exactly what they do with the correct representation of said grape. Um, and sometimes those celebrity winemakers... Uh, I, I, I don't know if there's very many of them that uh, I, I actually can say that about. Um, it, it becomes about marketing, right? Um, so the people that are actually out in the field and, and putting their uh, fingers in the dirt, that's something that uh, I can really get behind. Well said. I, I, I just couldn't agree more. There, and you nailed it. it really, winemaking really is the art of, of blending and bringing to market beautiful wines. And You'll, you'll get, you kind of will lose touch if you get too big and too production-like, but we're very boutique, and it, it means a lot. We have Wednesday calls every week. It feels like for 100 years, but our whole team gets together on Skype, and we go through um, the profile of our wines and what we're after. And again, Valeria and, and uh, our team there, they're, they're just really dedicated, and they're like family to us, really good people. I'd like to add... Uh you know, when you were here a few weeks back, uh, you told us the story about Arlene and how it how it got made and the whole the what the flower represents on the label. And I was just so taken back by that. I was just thinking, dang, I hope I'm that good of a husband, you know, uh, to my wife. But uh, could you could you tell the listeners that story a little bit? Well, my goodness. First of all, I'll identify with you because my there, there's uh, a. <clears throat> I've got a sister and two brothers and we all laugh and say, Hey, good for you, dad. But you know, you really set the bar high. Cause <laughs> it, it's, it's a tough one to beat, but yeah, it's, it's really a beautiful story again of, of adventure and love. I mean, they're really, really amazing people that have been married now for 55 years, but the long story made short when uh, my dad got out of the service, he went to work and, uh, Quick, you know, after after serving the, in the Navy, he, he went to uh, work to support his family after, you know, getting married to Arlene. And, but early on in their marriage, the tradition was to have a yellow rose on the table for their anniversary. And that really started the first year. Um, looking back on it, I kind of laugh because I, I honestly think my mom did that to take the pressure off, off of my dad. They didn't have money and you know, no, no expensive jewelry was re- really required. So I think that was the real message. But anyway, that, that tradition carried on year after year after year, um, every anniversary, a lunch and a yellow rose. So leading up to that magical 50th year wedding anniversary, my dad, sometimes not the best planner, but he was here where he gathered the winemakers and spent three years um, preparing and uh, putting together a beautiful label called the Pietelli Arlene, Arlene named after my mom, of course. And you're right, on the label is a yellow rose. So as the story goes, on the 50th uh, wedding anniversary, they were in Cavajate, Pietelli Cavajate, and they were celebrating their 50th. 
And the funny part of the story is they were sitting at the lunch, and for the first time now, after 50 years on their anniversary, there was no yellow rose on the table. And my mom kind of looked like, seriously, right? After 49 years of having this <laughs> tradition, you're going to screw up the 50th, right? And my dad, great sense of humor, kind of chuckled, and, and, he, and he pulled the bottle out from underneath the table and said, instead of putting the yellow rose on the table, Arlene, I wanted to put the 50th uh, special rose on the label and he presented her the bottle and surprised her with the wine named after her so well deserved she's an amazing lady that's put up with an awful lot with <laughs> her kids and her husband but beautiful story and uh, again a nice story of adventure and love that is a beautiful story and i'm so glad that it has that story because again as i've said that is my favorite wine from one of my favorite regions on earth and uh you know, s stories are great, but if the wine inside of it is not great, then, you know, it's it's just a fun story to tell. And uh, for me, that wine represents everything that Salta is. It's super high elevation. It's absolutely gorgeous. There's so many layers to it. It's complex. It's everything that I want in a wine. Uh, and that actually got introduced to me uh, in a blind tasting uh, several years ago. And I... I and, I've just been in love with it since. Um, but it, it's funny, uh, as we were kind of talking about before, you mentioned that, uh, you know, you don't chase after scores and, and you seem to have a lot of them uh, <laughs> racking up. That's that's kind of the higher end of, of what we have in our store uh, from, from your line is that Arlene. But even on like more of the entry level stuff, that stuff flies out of here. Yeah, that Malbec Reserve is just rocking. Yeah, it's all incredible. Um, Appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and as I told you when you were here uh, in person, um, we we've been fortunate enough to uh, really have on who we want to. Um, you know that we don't bring on people just because their names or, or or whatever. We we like the people that we bring on, and we genuinely support them, and uh, that's why we asked you on today. So, um, thank you so much for that wine and and that story. And I I kind of like to talk about the uh, vineyards themselves with the Piatelli family. Um, sure. How how old are those vineyards? When did the vineyards actually start? Great question. Yeah. The the. The original winery we got into, of course, was in Luhan, really close to the Katina uh, Aztec building that sits on the Luhan Trail in Mendoza. So the Piatelli family came in um, to Mendoza from Italy in 1940. Uh, it was, of course, them fleeing um, Italy during the war in Europe and got into Argentina back into the 1940s. So we've got some really old rugged uh, vines that are producing like what you talked about some just really beautiful beautiful reds and of course the Torrentes is amazing but that's that was the original winery is uh, in Mendoza and it's, it's uh, we've been at it for a long 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 time and the, the wine shows kind of the complexity of the age of those vines and you, and you guys purchased that land uh, oh gosh what's it called I, I uh, in Cafata the uh, you, oh, Cavajate? Cavajate. You put like uh, like 100 acres there, um, I, I guess, back in 2018 or so. Is that correct? Yeah, that is that is correct. Um, again, my, my parents were up there, and again, an adventure and risk, but looking at that region, it really, right, to bring to market beautiful wine, you can't take a, a, a half-decent grape and turn it into a beautiful wine. Of course, you need to 
start with what God has given you, which she starts with that land. So when they put their eyes in that region, they just were all in for the risk. And, you know, you never know what's going to happen. But now, you know, a decade later, the wines coming out of there are just stunning. They really are stunning. I mean, you like you said, we're, we're at a 6,200 feet altitude. UV rays, totally different impact on, on the grapes there. And it's just a, it's a really good story where um, I think it was a few years back, Wall Street Journal recognized it as one of the, I think it was the top wine destination in the world to, to go and explore, but really, really beautiful little micro region. Well, yeah, and I believe uh, I, your events coordinator down there, her last name is very similar to mine, and uh, Janola, I think hers is pronounced. I'm Jen Cola. So I had, we had talked a little bit about bringing our group down to uh, the resort, and, you know, this is kind of like when you guys were – you know, kind of in the middle of construction, and um, and she was like, "Yeah, it's going to be a year or so." And then, of course, COVID hit, and so uh, <laughs> we we have held that back until uh, the year of two thousand and twenty three. So we're hoping that uh, in twenty three we'll bring a large group down there and uh, and uh, have a good time down in uh, you know the beautiful land of Argentina. You will love it. I, I'll tell you when you, of course, you land in Salta, and then you get into your car. And then you're off on an adventure because from Salta you do about a it's about a two and a half to close to three hour drive uh, straight south and it starts out a little bit blasé but as you get into about an hour into the drive it absolutely elevates and continues to elevate to a moment where you're just you're really looking around in that drive saying where in the world am I, I mean, it, <laughs> you're, you're kind of tucked into the Grand Canyons of you know South America on that drive, very rugged, but you'll just see landscaping that you'll feel like you're on a different planet. It's hard to put to words, but um, an experience you definitely want to take the adventure for. And correct me if I'm wrong, you have to do a lot of uh, irrigation down there, correct? Yeah, another great question. Um, <clears throat> we do, we do all drip irrigation. And, you know, of course, the story of Argentina is a, a beautiful one because it's, you know, the snow melt from the Andes Mountains is what feeds into the vineyards when you're in the hillside. So we do pull from that. We also go down to the wells and everything we do is very controlled drip irrigation to not um, waste the water, which is extremely important. And then I'll add the other beautiful advantage is the altitude and the super hot days and cool nights, which really allow us to be very pure in our approach to winemaking. You're not spraying for, I mean, bugs and mold, that, that kind of thing is very, very <clears throat> limited in that area. Just not much grows at that type of altitude and high dress, desert plain area. Yeah, I, I uh, man, I, I can't remember uh, exactly, but I don't think that uh, Argentina ever really had to deal with uh, a ton of phylloxera, right? I, I don't think that was ever a thing. Yeah, exactly right. When they did their rootstock move, it, uh, it helped protect against any of that kind of disease. So they've been very fortunate and really progressive in their, in their approach. I think it's, of course, winemaking is so important to the country along with soybeans and a few other things, but certainly tourism and, and wine production is really key. So I think they were pretty focused on that and got ahead of that issue. So uh, where you're at uh, and, and where you're uh, located, your vineyards are located, do you ever have to deal with any kind of hail issues? Uh, I'm, I'm sure that area is a, a big uh, 
rain shadow effect, right? So the the rain's going to go up over the mountains. I would imagine you probably get some hail sometimes, right? No, you're not supposed to mention that word. That's uh... no. <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, it, it's a great question. We, we, you're exactly right. There's a you know the frost and the hail. Those are the two things that once again you're farming at the end of the day and uh, doing a lot of praying. So you're you're very hopeful that you're not going to run into that. But <clears throat> um, there's certain technology you can put up to to help protect some of your vineyards but certainly it's not good news when the the hail rolls in um they as a matter of fact i i don't know if this travels to the world but in, certainly in argentina they talk about once every seven years to eight years you'll have to deal with like the hail or frost um so i guess you can put that into your plan but mother nature is in control at the end of the day you never know yeah right like i said they're they're uh artists at the end of the day but you're really working with mother nature and and hoping and praying that it uh that it cooperates and it's devastating when you know a big hailstorm out of nowhere just you know it's devastating it it ruins a lot of uh people's uh vintages for sure um, it is heartbreaking when you have to deal with it, but you're right, part of the part of the farming experience. Yeah, I mean, we always say this is kind of like a, a you know a business where it's just like produce or anything, right? I mean, it, it depends on the vintage. It's almost like um, it's almost like you know playing the stock market in some ways, where you know you could have a, a fatal situation that could you know <laughs> kill a whole year, right? But uh, uh, nice for you because you know you are you guys you have such dry you know, weather there you know uh, you, you don't get the bugs and you don't get you know the, the bad things that are really uh, you know going to affect a whole vineyard uh, besides a, a little bit of the, the the H word that we were just talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's exactly right. I mean, it, where you buy and where you, you you plant your vineyards is really important. But but you're right. At the end of the day, still you're you're still a little bit out of control and just hopeful. So, so uh, you did mention um, that there are things that you can do to kind of help the uh, the vineyards from from something like that. Uh, what can you do to kind of protect yourself? Yeah, and again, it does. You know, where you're buying is important, but going back to the point, you can't control that. But there are hail nets that you can put up to protect some of your investment out there. It's an expensive move, but when you've got some really beautiful uh, terroir that you want to protect, that's putting out some of our more um, icon style wines like the Arlene and the Trinita and our Grand Reserves. Mm -hmm. Those are the, the plots that where you, you are going to make investments to put like hail nets up to protect um, some of the vineyards out there. Hey, Eric, I, want, I had a question. Um, you know, you guys make the uh, Piatelli Vineyards High Altitude Tarantes, and I think that wine is grown over uh, over 5,000 feet in elevation. How does a high elevation Tarantes differ from maybe like some valley f floor fruit? Wow, yeah. I mean, I, I just love the topic of Tarantes. It's just such a beautiful wine. I feel super excited about the market and optimistic it's just that other wine. It's the other white wine. Mm -hmm. it's the world has taken hold of Sauv Blanc, of course, and Pinot Grigio, but it's right in that vein, almost Vignet-like, and just such a beautiful floral note. Uh, smells a little sweet in the nose, but not in the palate. So it's mm -hmm. not a real sweet wine. Um, but we really, it's, it's, you're right, the higher elevation, 
Um, that's where you get your beautiful mineralities that will also add to the complexity of the Torrentes. And you go down um, away from where we're at and into more of the valleys where we are not, <laughs> making that point clear. Mm-hmm. But the, the best way I could say it without um, going too far is they just get a little flabby. They lose their structure. Um, it's very noticeable. Um, it's unfortunate because there is some of that in the market. And I think it can give Torrentes a little bit of a, a black eye. But if you've experienced our Piatelli Torrentes, it is... It's just a beautiful wine, very elegant, good structure, beautiful mineralities that pairs with, you know, spicy sushi, any kind of shell type fish food. It's just a, it's a super cool wine that I think has got a lot of upside in the U.S. market. Well, I think that wine, when you were here uh, and we tried it, I thought it was gorgeous. Um, If I remember correctly, they blinded me on it that day. And I was dancing all around. I, I didn't exactly know what it was. I, I thought that it had beautiful minerality and uh, even some salinity, uh, you know, almost like a, a, an Albarino, but uh, there was more, more complexity to it. I, I, I think I ended up landing on like uh, I, I, like a Mount Edna wine or something. I had no idea what it was, but it was gorgeous and, and uh, again, super complex. And I think what you said is very important. Sometimes Torontes uh, can be a little bit flabby. And, uh, as soon as, as soon as you told me what it was, I, you know, of course, of course, that's what this is. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, that's, I guess it's hindsight 2020. Um, but it's a beautiful expression of that. And I don't think I've ever had a Torontes that tasted like that. It's beautiful. I, and I, I remember our conversation when I was, uh, in the store with you guys, we I kind of we I think we went around. Is it Sauvignon Blanc? Is it not? Is it Pinot? Is it not? It, it really does stand on its own. Um, it definitely is this interesting wine that to try. And I always just you know talk about it being such a beautiful hot day summer style wine, chilled down really nice. Um, it's dangerous because you can end up going through a, a bottle pretty quick uh, <laughs> on, a, on a day when you're planning for just a glass. It's a beautiful wine. I, I remember that day, and I want to go on record saying that that was not me thinking it was a soft block. When he said that was a soft block, I told him he was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way. Uh, but the, I, I see where he got there, I guess. The, the acidity is very nice on it. And uh, and I like what you said uh, with the Viognier. It does nose like a Viognier. I mean, it's very aromatic and gorgeous and almost a little bit kind of like white jasmine flower kind of. Uh, but very, very nice wine. Uh, I didn't realize until this moment, even when I tried it then, I don't think I realized that it was that high elevation. Yeah, that's it. I mean, just it's just that hot day and cool night uh, flux that happens that creates that expression. It's it's a really neat wine, but you're you're spot on. You, if you get down into the lower elevation, you're going to bring the market kind of more of a flabby wine. And so we're very careful to stay in the foothills. At you know we're at, we're talking you know fifty five hundred six thousand feet elevation where we're at. So Amazing. as long as we stay there, I can promise you vintage after vintage it'll be a beautiful uh, release for us that's a that's unbelievable for people who don't really know that that kind of elevation is uh that's gorgeous that that produces some really nice wines uh, i mean there's not much uh, there's not much growing up there um that's, that's right that's great um i do want to ask you though what is you you keep talking about the uh, diurnal shift what is a typical diurnal shift there for you 
Say that one more time. I'm sorry. Uh, you've mentioned a couple times the uh, the difference between day and night. What is the uh, diurnal oh. shift typically? Uh, the degrees drop. Yeah, I mean, up in I'll start with in Cavajate, which is more dramatic, and you see it in the wines. When we're explaining our wines, we I love talking about the elegance of Mendoza and then the drive into Cavajate. You know, it's this big, powerful, and that's you know, powerful landscaping. So that's kind of the expression that you're going to get. But in Cavajate, you're—I mean, it's not uncommon to be um, through some of the growing season where you're 50 degrees um, during the nighttime, and then in the daytime, you're you're going all the way up to 90 degrees, pretty consistently Fahrenheit-wise. So, wow, you know, 40 40 degrees is not uncommon to shift from a, a cool cool night, and then you know real hot and one of the key things too is the uv rays of course because you're at that elevation correct it has a, a you know the minerality and things that are happening to the uh, the, gra- the skin of the grape is a uh, lot to do with the uv rays in that area too so i would imagine that you're probably doing a lot of harvesting at night or, or early morning ah boy the night harvest uh <laughs> debate we we went round and round early on um as a team and we did we did years and years and years ago uh we made the switch over and have been really dedicated to showing up at night for obvious reasons it's the most important time is when you're picking and harvesting and at that very moment to get your fruit in and not have it uh hitting some hot sunshine and and, and getting cooked basically right um we we do you're, you're exactly right we, we put our team out there at, at nighttime it's a little bit difficult but it's a big push and we do all of our harvesting nighttime for sure well i whatever you're doing brother keep doing it yeah, because the it wines are absolutely phenomenal um i can't say enough good things about it i i appreciate you taking time to sit down with us uh today and and we'll keep selling the wine if you keep making it this great. Yeah, I, I, I want to just say thank you guys. And you're right. They're, right. The bottom line is there is a lot of good wine out there for sure. So we're in the market. We're family owned and operated. Um, we're, we're in it for the long haul for generations to come, God willing. But it really does count, come down to, to you guys. Uh, our wine could sit in the warehouses and not get to market. So you put a lot of work into what you do. There's a lot of options, but you've represented us beautifully, and we are nothing but thankful for the work and uh, the focus you've had on our brand, Piatelli. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Hey, thank you, Eric. Thank you, Eric. You have a good one, okay, buddy? All right, gentlemen. Have a great day. Cheers. Cheers. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Eric Malinsky, Piatelli Vineyards. It's great when a beautiful wine and a beautiful story come together. You can have a great wine without it being a great story, but you can't have a great story without it being also a good wine. Thankfully, these guys are the real deal, the total package. I can't say enough good things about them. I hope that you enjoyed the episode, and we will see you again next week. Cheers.